My name is Brett Q. I don't play hockey, and I do not listen to Nickelback. But I still like Canadians, so I listen to the Big MX radio show. started big mx radio brought to you by meta is on the air fueled by passion focused on motocross fly racing bills pipes w wheels motul mx x brand goggles moto ice wrap and moto stuff make it possible to bring you the news the interviews and the point of views Inside the sport of motocross, the gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Uh, welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing and Bill's Pipes. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. My co-host for this review show is none other than Paul Lindsay. Paul, how's it going? I'm doing all right, Brad. How are you, buddy? Hey, not too bad. Uh, a hot and sweltering day here in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where uh, the, the temperatures, uh, as far as Fahrenheit go, upper 90s. Um, hard to believe that uh, a, a place wow. like, as far north as this can get uh, temperatures like that. But uh, we, got, we got a sweltering one out there, probably uh, hotter than uh, something you, you guys get even in, uh, in Colorado there. Yeah, you know what's funny? It's it's hot here today too, but it's just like upper seventies, lower eighties. It's supposed to be that way through the weekend. And yeah. I mentioned last week that we historically have had some really, really hot Lakewood uh, National, uh, the hot of the day of the national every year. And this year was mild. It was uh, it was actually quite nice. I was surprised. I mean, uh, I was talking about it last week. You know, I don't know if it's the hillside, the way the sun kind of refracts off the hillside, or or the the black top in the pits but for some reason it is just on colorado like hot at that race but this year was almost perfect it was uh, i want to say mid 70s to maybe upper 70s at the most and you know it was warm because the sun beats down on you a little more at altitude but nothing like years past that's for sure so well it, it absolutely overall, looked beautiful nice yep. oh yeah Good racing weather and uh, conditions of the track were good. What was your experience as a fan? You you went through the gates like just like everybody else watched from uh, just by the the starting gate there. But uh, what, what's your overall experience if you were just a fan going to your first race or uh, going to a national? Um, it's an accelerated program from years years past where uh, people had a little bit more time to go get autographs and stuff like that. What was your uh, your overall experience as, as a fan uh, this weekend in uh, Colorado? Well, you know, for me, it's a little bit different, obviously, because I've been there, done that. But you're right. I was just a fan. I didn't really talk to many people. I kind of kept a low profile and actually snuck out of there early. But, you know, the it was nice. I mean, it's nice. Anytime you're at a national, if you've never been to one, I'd obviously highly recommend it. It's so different than it looks on TV, and they're going so much faster and, you know, jumping higher and everything else and some of the close calls or the – the close bar banging racing that you see on TV looks even closer in person. And like what happens to be one of those tracks where if you get at the right spot, you can see 80% of the track. Um, so it was a ball. You know, I went, um, my brother-in-law Kyle and his daughter, Kaylin went up there and uh, they drove separately because they were going to stay all day. And they actually went earlier than me as well. They like my brother-in-law Kyle, he's a diehard. He takes in practice from the get go and stayed till well after the, the last moto and uh, they actually got some autographs and, and didn't even need to throw my name around or ask me to do it. They probably, I probably would have told them to give up on them, but they got autographs and pictures with, with Dungey, with Roxon, with uh, Marvin, who's and, and at the next day we went to dinner for my daughter's birthday and I was like, geez, how'd you get all that? <laughs> like I would have told them don't even try because you know how it is. There's a long line and yeah, and super cross, you know, it's super cross to get one or sure, two. Some natural, yeah, you got to you got to get a ticket to get in line at some of them like Dungey and Stewart and Reed and 
and Roxon and those guys, but they, they managed to get it done. So, uh, Colorado coming through for the, uh, hometown fans, I guess, like I said, I was pretty incognito, but, uh, I enjoyed myself. It's always fun. You know, it reminds me why we all enjoy the sport when I get to get out to one and I haven't been to any this year at all, which is strange for me. So it was kind of a weird feeling, but it's only an hour and 15 minutes away from my house. So I kind of had to, but well, there you Good go. Day racing, it was, uh, always, it was an yeah. eventful race to go to. Both 250s and 450s were firing, and uh, it was is pretty interesting to see uh, how the moto shook out. Um, a one-two performance in the 250s, but uh, Ken Roxon making it all kinds of boring in the 450 class. Uh, kind of set a pace early, settled into it. Uh, not Ricky Carmichael or uh, more recently Eli Tomac style beatdowns of uh, 30 plus second gap, but uh, I think that's a smart way to do it. Uh, distance yourself about eight, ten seconds, and uh, and then just just match the lap times of those behind you, and uh, he made it look pretty easy. I'd say that's a good assessment. He he did what he did at McGrath style exactly like you said. He he got out front, sprinted early, and then just sort of kept that gap. I think uh, uh, somebody mentioned it on one of the shows, and I was just looking it up uh, here. I just want to confirm that took my foot in my mouth. But yeah, Tomac actually had the fastest lap time in the second moto. Yeah. Um, but Roxon knew where he was, um, and uh, it probably when I went back and watched the. Uh, the TV broadcast, they didn't do it very good justice of I'm trying to remember who they were showing the battle of, if it was Sealy or somebody, but they didn't do a, didn't do it justice. Tomac was actually cutting into Roxon's lead quite a bit, but I think Roxon knew where he was the whole time. And, and, uh, you know, Tomac, you know, speaking of, of, I know you wanted to get to it eventually, but Dungey's unfortunate injury. And I actually, just yeah. right before you called me, I got done watching uh, this finally video of it. And it was a really strange crash. I don't know if you've seen it or if any of your listeners have seen it, but if you haven't, go to Race Cole Track. It's on uh, GoPro, I think. Yeah, that's right. It's on Cole Sealy's helmet uh, GoPro cam, and, and it's, a, it's a bizarre one. It really looks like uh, who can knock Ryan Dungey, um, but it looked like he had just a little brain fade. It was really, really a strange crash to me. Um, not a super hard crash, but those are the ones that get you, so I'm not going to say anything about that. There's nothing surprising about that, but the way he went down was a little weird to me, but... Uh, I guess my point was with Dungey being out now, everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's first reaction that I've talked to, including you just now, <laughs> my brother-in-law, my, my friend, Mark Brooks, who actually broke the news to me before I had a chance to read and race, actually texted me and I was like, Holy crap. Uh, you know, everybody that I've spoken to their first gut reaction, sad as it is, and this is no disrespect to anybody is oh, the summer's going to be boring now. Well, I'm going to throw out there. I'll contest. And maybe this is wishful thinking on my part. Mm-hmm. Just a what if, and a what if, and a hopefully, Tomac with Dungey out, maybe Tomac finds a stride and starts challenging Roxon for wins. That could get real interesting. Maybe again, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, um, just to see some good action. I love all three of those guys. I'm not a huge Tomac fan, or if, if I had to pick any one of the three, it's Dungey that would be my favorite. But I like all three of them. I got nothing against any of them, but it'd be sure neat to see Tomac get up there. And, and the way, by the way, while I was also doing notes before you called, I finally got prepared this week and did some studying. Uh, I don't know if the, anybody, anybody's talked about this yet, but Tomac has set the fast qualifying time three weeks All in a row three. now. Yeah. Yep. So he's got the speed. And then, it's uh, just the motos. Yeah, and, he's uh, right there. I think it's a little bit of fitness, honestly, uh, behind the eight ball before Supercross. And yep. like you lose a little bit of that base. And we talk about like, like, People don't really quite understand what a fitness base is. Is what you basically that's what your foundation of what your fitness is standing on top of. And when you have your shoulder surgeries and you're not able to even like um, people think, oh, it's your shoulder surgery, so you can you can go on an exercise bike. No, you can't go on an exercise bike because after major surgery like that, uh, you have to stay. You have to keep your your um, uh, your your heart rate low so that you don't develop blood clotting and then have have it have issues that way so you like for weeks on end wouldn't have been able to do a whole lot of anything as far as uh, getting active goes and that can uh, like a, a month or so can wipe out an entire year of that foundation of what you draft off of where uh, when it's late in the moto those are the reserves that you're working off of and uh, I don't think he has uh, quite the same base that uh, Ken Roxon has because obviously he would have developed a, a serious base with 
with Alden, but then his current program, he's got nothing but confidence in, and he's got that uh, the base. He's got everything working for him. Yeah, and I, I agree and disagree to a point. You're, you're spot on about the recovery time. That's the hardest thing for any athlete, especially more crossers, to, to put in their time on the couch, We you know, we call it. And that's especially with some injuries, especially a concussion or when, when these guys uh, get the Epstein-Barr virus, get mono, it's the hardest thing in the world to think that you feel fine and you can get out on the bike. And ACL surgery is the same way. Um, you feel like it's good, but if you don't put in the time uh, at least five months and let that thing heal, sometimes six months, you could tear it without even knowing it. So you're right in some regard. I'd say, and shoulders I'm not an expert on, but I think the flip side of it is these guys are young and they do have a good base just to begin with. And I don't think a month off the bike or off the training killed him that much, but I think I agree he's definitely got some work to do. However, the flip side of that is you're also right about building that base. Anybody that thinks, or, you know, the old saying, I'm going to go home and train real hard this week and come out swimming next week, they're not going to change anything. <laughs> I don't know why people even say that. Any trainer, any top athlete will tell you, you they do their boot camp in the off season and they, they work to plateau, in, including through Supercross and into outdoors in some most cases. But they're just, they're maintaining a level of fitness at this point. Yeah, uh, they're they're sort of idling through the season. The hard work is done. They do a lot of maintenance training during the week, and uh, if if they've done things right, the weekend should be their reward. That should be the easiest part. But you can't train uh, and, and raise your level maybe in this two week break. But you know, Tomac, I think he's got enough in the tank. I think Roxon just has a little more rock speed right now. But then again, that's a contradiction since. Uh, Tomac's been setting fast lap time in practice, but come moto time, Roxton's had the speed for sure, and he's had fast lap in, I think, almost every moto except this last one at Lakewood. So uh, that sort of tells the tale, too. And it was only by one-tenth he was quicker than uh, Roxton, by the way. Yeah, And that's, uh, uh, just looking in the uh, first moto, he was three seconds off. So Yeah. Well, you know but he what, was coming um, through the pack in that one, I think, so... I, I, it's been said a few times on uh, either my program or others that we can work with speed um, and uh, only time will tell whether or not uh, Eli Tomac can, uh, can find that, uh, that consistency throughout his motos to, uh, to, to last. But um, what, like if, if you're, uh, if, if you're Ken Roxon right now, you're rolling into a two week break. Are, do you want that break whatsoever? Or do you just keep wanting to demoralize these guys? It depends on the rider. I'd say he'd like to keep things rolling for sure. I think uh, probably everybody but him is welcoming the break. Um, yeah. Maybe Savace is chomping the bet like Roxon is to keep the ball rolling. Um, so, yeah, I'd say, you know, but then again, he might be tired like the rest of them mentally. There's, there's a mental fatigue that comes into play that people don't realize with all the travel and training and autograph signings and everything. It's a grind. And uh, mentally, that's another thing that could be working. And we talked about this on last week's show, too, the, the confidence being a two-way street, and it can really be a huge monster snowball effect both directions. It can work in your favor the way it is for Oxen now, and it can work against you the way it is for, for Tomac or others now. And, and uh, you know, look at, look at Kennard during Supercross. It's just uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to conquer. And mental training and mental toughness is a huge part of it. When you hear about these guys hiring trainers, one of the things that Alden is so good at and one of the things Johnny O'Meara is so good at, uh, I was actually quite surprised to hear that he and Jeremy Martin parted ways. Um, a lot, I, I guess I won't get into on that, but, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes people are paying a lot of money and don't realize why they're paying it until they realize what they've lost, in my opinion. But, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of money changing hands all over the place out there, and sometimes people think it's worth it, and sometimes they don't. But again, I think you can't underestimate the the power of that mental edge and mental toughness. And uh, some guys need it and need to be told and need to be taught and need to be constantly reinforced, and some guys don't. Some guys have it on their own. So, you know, it's uh, something, though, like I said, results definitely feed that monster one way or the other. So... That it does, and uh, the 450 class. Although maybe uh, some would say that the uh, the battle at the, at the front of the pack is uh, starting to look a little bit boring. Uh, one, five out of six motos won by one rider, but uh, there's been some good battles. But um, what I'm noticing is some cool, kind of interesting dynamics that I didn't really expect. Uh, like if you were like, the 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 smartest of experts, the guys who who follow this all the time. 
Um, a couple of things that jump out at me just in the top 20, but also in the top 10. Um, first of all, just, just from Lakewood itself, uh, two Hondas inside the top five. Um, most people wouldn't have um, penciled uh, Cole Seeley for a fourth overall or definitely not a, a podium yep. in a moto outdoors. And, uh, and also the fact that you've got uh, two factory Kawasaki riders inside the top six um, in all reality, in all honesty, I had uh, my serious doubts about Josh Grant's uh, fitness coming into this series. And uh, based on where the team was at at the beginning of uh, Supercross uh, in, in January, never would have imagined they'd have two guys in the top six and ahead of every single Yamaha rider uh, yep. in, in, in the Nationals. Yeah, and you know, Josh Grant and Cole Sealy are two great examples, and even Trey Kennard. Uh, you know, Trey obviously got his first podium of the year. And if you had told me, in Supercross, he was going to have, what, two top fives and zero podiums? Two yeah. top fives out of 17 rounds? I would have bet you whatever you wanted to bet against that unless he got hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, he picked up his first podium. I'm looking at his results right here, seven, five, seven, four, three, six, and he's obviously gaining some momentum. He's been qualifying well. He, uh, I want to say he's been second in two of the three rounds, qualifying behind Tomac. Um, which is good. So his base is there. He's he's an outdoor guy and a supercross guy. I think he's a guy that can do both quite clearly. And some guys like Sealy are maybe a supercross specialist, and other guys um, like a, I, I can't even think of a good example. Maybe Barsha, who used to be a supercross guy, but maybe he's more of an outdoor guy. Uh, Porcel, same thing. Used to be one or the other, but Kennard is is one that's good at both, and we've seen it, but. He's starting to roll, and he's been pretty consistent. But then back to uh, backing up to Josh Grant and Cole Sealy, they're fifth and sixth in the points. I, it's interesting. Cole Sealy, I singled out it just on my notes here and studying. He, he's had quite the ride. He's gone 5'10 at Hangtown, 5'10 at Glen Helen, and then 6'3. So all of a sudden, you know, 5'10, 5'10, you obviously have problems in the two-second models at Hangtown and Glen Helen, but the fifths were pretty impressive. He's right there. And then to back it up with a 6-3 this weekend at Lakewood, pretty good. But his qualifying has been awful. He was 6th at Hangtown, 2.3 seconds off the pace. 10th at Glen Helen, 3.8 seconds, almost 4 seconds off the leader's pace. And then at Lakewood even, he was a second and a half off the pace in 8th place. So he hasn't really shown any raw speed, and even in the motos. But he's, you know, he's right there. He obviously led for a little while, and, and I think he, he really wants to prove something uh, that he can do it outdoors, and, and you know, he's a factory rider. You, you're paid to do both. So I think that's what he's feeling, and more power to him. Uh, but as far as Josh Grant, we talked about this last week too. You know, he, he's a guy that everybody thinks is like a uh, maybe a James Stewart, win or crash. He can pull a win out of, uh, out of his butt in one moto at Glen Helen and then DNF the next, you know, last year or whatever. But now all of a sudden he's like steady Eddie. He's been in the top five qualifying every week, I think, except he was sixth this weekend. He was like fifth, fifth, sixth in qualifying, so his speed is right there. Moto finishes are eight, eight, six, six, four, seven. I mean, that's that's rock solid for that guy, and we all know on the right day, on the right track, he's capable of pulling off a podium or a win, but to not throw it away and just settle for this six, five, seven, eight, six, five, you know, that's pretty impressive. You're right, and... uh Consequently, his reward for being so damn consistent and so fast, he's only sixth in the points, so that still speaks to how deep the class is and the talent level because he's been riding exceptionally well and is still, again, only sixth in points. In fact, would probably be seventh if Anderson hadn't had to catch an early flight home. So, right. But that, that being said, sixth in points, we're talking, he's, he's ahead, like, of course, with the, the, the altitude sickness, uh, Jason Anderson drops back uh, uh, 30, 30 or 40 points or so. But regardless, um, he's ahead of Marvin Muskan, who's, who's got a huge contract. He's ahead of Barsha, who's had no excuses not yep. to be up there. He's ahead of uh, Christoph Purcell. He's ahead of of Blake Baggett, all guys who uh, are um, they, like these guys are, are paid to, to not only win races, yeah. win championships. And um, this is a guy who is for all intents and purposes on the couch in January. Yep. And yep. like that, that's really, really impressive. And like, honestly, not too many times you see a guy kind of change his spots in the, in, uh, in any uh, form of the fact that he, but he does enjoy those tracks, and like we'll, we'll see what happens down the, the series. But um, for a guy who's normally been that uh, win win 
one moto uh, back of the pack the next moto. In fact, most of his uh, moto wins uh, have been followed by either a crash out or uh, or a lack yeah. of performance afterwards. Uh, like a, I'll, I'll take a four seven all day long from my uh, from my my second my second to top guy. Oh heck yeah, yeah. He's doing his job. He's backing up Tomac nicely, and at times challenging Tomac. Uh, Tomac's clearly faster. But uh, Josh is right there with that lead pack, and it's it's been awesome. I mean, there was a time in that second moto. I'm trying to remember back. So he, yeah, he had a fourth in the first moto, and he had a legitimate shot at an overall podium uh, with all the shuffling around. It looked like he faded a little bit in that second moto, if I remember right. Josh did, but not when I say faded, he just lost a couple spots. He didn't throw the anchor out. But if I remember right, he was running second or third for a good majority of the time, and. And if things had ended the way they were, he would have gone like 4-2 or 4-3 for second overall, or even 4-4 four, four or 4-5 four, for third overall. You know, as it turns out, those spots that he dropped at the end, you know, relegated him to whatever he was, uh, what what did he get, sixth overall, I guess. Yeah. So, again, uh, a few not <laughs> letting those guys by, and he's easily third or fourth overall, which is, is pretty darn impressive. Again, he looks like he belongs up there in that lead pack, I guess is my point. So. Yeah, like literally, he was he was one like uh, he's one position in both motos off of uh, tying uh, Cole Seeley and Trey Kennard. so he's right in there with both those guys uh, in, yep. in both those motos. And um, in, in all honesty, I'm really impressed with how he's been riding, and uh, and look forward to uh, to seeing uh, how uh, he's able to back that up in in the coming rounds. Uh, if you are, yep. uh, I ask you a question here: Is should Ken Roxon be more worried about? Uh, Eli Tomac, or, or like uh, like uh, amount worried, like give like basically give me a percentage worried for uh, either is Ke- how much is Ken Roxon worried about uh, Eli Tomac? How 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 much worried is uh, Eli Tomac about Cole Seeley and Trey Kennard? Because those guys might be uh, looking to leapfrog him right away here. I see what you're saying. So respectively or or proportionately. The odds of Tomac beating Dungey versus the odds of Sealy, Grant, or Kennard, or one of those guys jumping up ahead of Tomac for that yeah. second spot. Um, I'd say it's exponentially higher that Roxon needs to be worried about Tomac. I don't see Tomac going backwards, and that's full respect to Sealy, Kennard, Grant, Barsha. All those guys, man, are, are fully capable of getting up there and, and battling, you know, for podiums and, and even wins. They, if you look back behind them, all those guys are, are champions. Marvin, I expect to get going. Barsha, I expect to get going. Porcel, for sure. I mean, when Baggett comes back. So that being said, though, I think it was clearly a three-horse race. Um, but those guys were keeping all these guys honest, except, I guess, Roxon. But I think, I still think Tomac, it'll be really, really interesting. I mean, history we'll look back on this and say, you know, his best days are either behind him or he's back. You know, I mean, everybody, yeah. if you remember, the reason he even switched to Cowie was because they they win championships and he, the bike suits him and, and he wants to win and they're paying him to win and, and everything else. So if he suddenly just settles into being a top guy instead of the top guy, uh, that will be an interesting side note in history, I guess, that does the shoulder surgery and, and the dreaded Lakewood downhill off camera which makes me feel bad because i raced to that track my whole life and it's kind of a sketchy downhill but then again then again those guys hit it about 90 miles faster per hour than i do probably uh if it if it ruined his career because that was a nasty crash and two nasty shoulder surgeries and i i hope to god i'm wrong and i hope he's back and just slowly you know slower than we all wanted we all watched with a great anticipation at anaheim one and it was like i think he's back like he wasn't going slow but he didn't look like Tomac of old. And that's sort of been the thing all year, except Daytona, right? Like that's the only time he really looked like yeah. the old Tomac. And, but then again, I guess even in Supercross last year, he won a couple rounds, if I remember right, but wasn't the guy. He was just yep. like a canard. He was fast. Then all of a sudden outdoors, he's like Superman and destroying people and like, holy crap. And then he crashes. So wh- who is Eli Tomac? I guess that's the big question. Was that a, was that a fluke? Was that weird? Was Dungey off? Was something we don't know about? Is that why he was waxing him by a minute and a half? You know, I, I don't think so. I think Tomac was just fine in his groove and, and the, the bike was working. And, and like we talked about last week as well, no major injuries, flipping along, pushing that envelope like a Tim Geyser and wham, bites him. 
and maybe he'll never want to cross that line again. True. Right now, no. Roxon is Roxon's ten steps over that line, and that's not a knock on Roxon. That's not saying he's riding over his head or out of control, but he's so comfortable and so confident that he kind of is. He, he's willing to push it. If anybody saw Gautier Pollen's crash in France at uh, Saint oh. Jean-Jolie or however you pronounce it, was that's, just that was brutal, sickening, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That re- reached up and bit him. I was on pins and needles watching everybody all day come down that downhill, thinking the same thing. You could tell how slick it was, but that's the thing that when, when spectators and mere mortals like us watch, unless you've done it at that level, people just don't realize how hard those guys are pushing. They make it look easy like they're not pushing. Specifically in Europe, when you watch a guy like Gautier Pollen, or some of those guys are so smooth and deceivingly fast that it looks like they're on cruise control, but they're pushing just as hard as a... I'm one of our sketchy guys that hangs it out like a Tomac or somebody, okay? And uh, got Pierre Paul, and it reached up and bit him, and I guarantee that mental edge, it's going to take him a long time before he feels like charging wide open on a 450 down a hill like that again. And that's the reality of our sport, sadly. And that also gets back to one of those key ingredients of being a top professional champion and winner in our sport. How do you rebound from that? Is he scared shitless and he's never going to do that again? Or does he say that's what happens and comes back like Trey Kennard every time? Fearless. Trey Kennard seems to be as fast or faster every time, at least the previous five times. It never ceased to amaze me how he got right back to his former speed. Yeah, and that and doesn't that mean he's... To, yeah. uh, to miss a beat. Yeah, and that's not, again, that's not me knocking him, saying he's a knucklehead or some idiot daredevil. He's just... He's got That's just tough bigger to do. balls than me. That's for sure, dude. He's he, he's a gnarly guy. He, he's you know he's a man of faith, which I respect, and he just goes for it. And he's you know when nobody feels like they're out of control. When when you're riding that hard, you feel like you're fully in control. Got to your palm. That thing reached up and bit him before he knew he was down. Obviously, before yeah. he knew what was happening. Same with most of those crashes. Dungey's crash. Same thing. When's the last time you saw Dungey make a mistake like that? However, to compete at that level at the front of the field, that's that ragged edge you have to ride on, and it's who can control that chaos the best. That gets back to the training, like we talked about last week as well. Right. Training for the crash, training for the, for the dexterity, the hand-eye coordination, the reflexes like you talked about, being able to react and save a crash where mere mortars will be cartwheeling. So the whole thing is so deep and so dynamic, it, it just blows my mind. It's important. We we already don't get enough respect for being motocrossers in the sport and our athletes, but that takes it to a whole other level of respect, in my opinion, that puts them on par with any athlete on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. Amen to that. So um, mm-hmm. before we uh, move over to the 250 class, um, with the, uh, the 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 second uh, the secondary number the number two uh, rider uh, Brian Dungey out for most likely the rest of the season. He's kept uh, kept Ken Roxon pretty much in touch as far as points go, uh, but uh, it, it's 29 points back to Tomac. It's over. It's almost 50 points back to uh, Drake and Art. Um, is is this thing almost out of reach? You know, I was looking at that just now too. And outdoors have a funny way of doing that uh, when a guy gets on a roll. However, and again, I, I I need to stop giving these disclaimers. I drive people like Jason Thomas nuts because I always feel like I'm not trying to offend somebody. So once again, no offense, no, no harm intended towards Ken Roxon, but God forbid he gets hurt. This could be a whole new race. We've seen that happen. So if that doesn't happen and I don't want that to happen for the record, uh, yes. I mean, Roxon is pretty well on cruise control. Now, Tomac, again, it's only three rounds in out of 12, but that is, as Davey Coombs said, you know, we're a quarter of the way in all of a sudden three rounds, boom. So, Tomac needs to get moving, but 29 points isn't much if Tomac gets on a roll. And, right. and you know, Roxon has one or two bad motors. I'm not even yeah, talking about a DNF. One bad motor, one, you get an eighth somewhere, and all of a sudden it's... Oh, uh, a fourth is 10 points. I mean, yeah. or, or a fifth, you know. So a fifth would be 10 points. So, and, and he's had those where he had to come through the Packers, forks, he got a fourth at Don Helen. So it's certainly not out of reach, and it's, it's crazy to talk that way. However, it's easy to look at that and say that it is, which... If everything continues to go the way it is, absolutely. <laughs> put a put a, a ribbon on it and, and hand it to Roxon now because 
uh, it's certainly what it looks like. He's riding that well and that confident, and uh, I don't see him making any major mistakes. The only thing that can derail it is if Tomac, well, God forbid, again, two things can derail it. God forbid he has a major catastrophe and gets hurt or misses a moto or another mechanical DNF, and or if Tomac starts beating him straight up, which could mess with him coming through the pack if he gets a bad start like we've seen in the past. So, uh, But as far as the other guys, I'd say it's definitely down to Roxon and Tomac. I don't see anybody else getting on a tear. But one, one quick side note in history, one of my two of my favorite seasons ever, and I'm going to blow this story because not only can I for sure not remember what year it was with Guy Cooper, I'm going to guess 91, 89, 90, 91, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. But Guy Cooper in the... Yeah, I can't, and I also can't remember because my brain doesn't work anymore at my age, but uh, most recently, Trey Kennard did the same thing where all of a sudden, mid-season, I think both, I'm trying to remember if Kennard was coming back from injury or just hadn't won a motor yet, but I think in Guy Cooper's case, he came back from a broken femur, but my point being, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just started busting out motor wins like at round six, round seven, round eight and just dominated right. the rest of the season. It's a thing of beauty to watch when somebody does that. Well, that was Kennard like uh, doing um, it a Emig when yeah. he won his title over LaRocco in the 125 class, uh, didn't win a moto until round four or five. Yeah, and then almost threw it away yeah, at the end there. So yeah. I think, uh, you know, like I said, seeing something like that happen, and ironically, Kennard is sort of next up. He's fourth in points. Dungey's out. We're talking about Roxon and Tomac down to a two-horse race. What if, what if Kennard finds his groove and starts reeling off moto wins like he did that magical summer in, what was it, probably oh, or 2010, maybe? I don't even know, 2011. Um, the year he won the outdoors, that was just spectacular. It was incredible. So um, I, I just love it. I think it's awesome. And... Uh, See, see what happens this summer. That's why we go racing, as they say, right? 100%. Uh, so uh, let's let's throw it to the commercial break here on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show. We'll be right back. Talk some 250s here with Paul Lindsay on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Bill's Pipes. Hey, everybody. This is Jimmy Button, former factory Supercross rider. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to take it to the commercial. We'll be right back. When it's time to turn heads, Spokeskins has you covered. Whether it's dirt bikes, street bikes, or bicycles, nobody does it better than Spokeskins. Mix and match your spokes, or go with the same color all the way around. Either way, Spokeskins is the way to go to customize the look of your bike. Uniting off-road riders on every end of the budget spectrum, Spokeskins is aimed at giving you the custom look without the custom price tag. If you're looking to set your bike apart from the rest of the herd, turn some heads, and be able to change your bike's look on the fly, head to spokeskins.net. They don't just have spokeskins on their website. They've got more. New products are being added all the time, like the Motul Slacker Digital Sag Scale, and just recently, Galfer Off-Road Series Rear Brake Lines, Oversized Rotor Kit, and Front Brake Lines as well. So do what I did. Head to spokeskins.net today place your order and get set up to turn some heads out there spokeskins we've got you covered deft family gloves deft means showing cleverness and skill in handling things what you want to see in football and basketball is some deft handling of the ball. Some people are physically deft, like accomplished athletes, motorsports professionals, and martial arts masters. Their movements are fast, graceful, and deliberate. Others might be mentally or intellectually deft. You could describe a beautifully written essay as deft, or talk about a politician's deft work on an anti-bullying bill. The source of deft is the Old English gedeft, meaning mild or gentle, which became deft in Middle English along with its meaning of apt, skillful, and adept. Deft family represents a united family of athletes, artists, and creative individuals inspired by the underground lifestyle. Founded by a core crew of friends, influenced by music, arts, 
culture, sport, faith, and fashion. We provide the essentials of the modern day movement through a vision of free-flowing culture. Formed by motivation and necessity for change through passionate minds while remaining ahead of the mainstream, common, and popular beliefs. Hashtag Deaf Family is not just a brand, it's a lifestyle. We are deft. All Deft Family product and merchandise is shipped directly from Temecula, California and handled with care. So head on over to deftfamily.com, explore the website and find out all things deft and become part of the Deft Family. Hey, this is Josh Greco on the 976 Cali, and you're listening to the Big MX Radio. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable, sweat-absorbing liner and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well... You better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. Ex-racing man. But more than box, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Who that tastes, what a delicious treat. Bees, Amigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. In motocross, everyone wants one common thing to simply enjoy the ride. Sand, clay, loam, or concrete, and everything in between. Riders all want to be able to enjoy their ride. But today is Arena Cross. Tomorrow's Glen Helen, and Saturday, we're heading to this gnarly sand track. How can we be sure our suspension is always dialed in? For most, employing a full-time practice technician is unrealistic, and even for those who have one, setting suspension is still a chore. Get a measuring tape, scratch a mark on the fender or rear number plate, and attempt some backward math to find 105 millimeters. Does this tape even have millimeters on it? Forget that. Head to motool.co today and set your sag every time you ride with the Slacker Digital Sag Scale. Let's hear from Johnny K. Spear himself on how this thing works. So uh, really basically you would just uh, stick it on your axle with the magnet, stick the clip on your side plate basically where the arc of the axle would hit the side plate and then uh pull out the retractable cable, hook it to the clip, and turn it on, and then just take the bike off the stand and and take a measurement. It's that easy. Trust tuning your suspension to Johnny K-Spear and Motul MX. So, what do you think of Rich Taylor? Lighter than air and stronger than steel. So what that means is it can move much faster. 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter-X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. 
all of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now, and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples, and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown full rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Hey guys, Bill's Pipes is back, and that means the return of legendary performance. Two strokes, check. Four strokes, check. Since 1974, they've been tuning power at its finest for motocross racers, off-road racers, you name it. For you two-stroke lovers, the MX2 Bill's Pipe exhaust system is flat out the right choice to make. Nickel, works, and the brand new cone look is the right system for the job. When it comes to four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to decimate the field anywhere, anytime. So if you want the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Sean Collier, Vicky Golden, and the entire Barn Pros Home Depot Yamaha team, head over to Bill'sPipes.com today. And never settle. Hey, this is Adam with Vexy MX, and you're listening to the Big MX Podcast Radio Show. Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know if, why you're listening to Brad's podcast, but I'll be back on soon. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, guys, this is Kate Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off in the track, but I do it at K1 Speed, too. And we're back, Big MX Radio Podcast Show, on the line here with uh, Paul Lindsay. We're talking uh, little bikes, starting with the, the, the titular class. Um, and uh, it's been all over the place. We've had some great days from Joey Savati. We've had some not-so-great days from Joey Savati. We've seen him throw away motos late. But uh, either way, walking out of Colorado and heading back to the ranch uh, at, uh, at at Ricky Carmichael's house, he's got the red plate on on the front of a, a rich a, I almost said Richmond Gowan Kawasaki on a on a pro circuit Kawasaki, which got to put the a smile on Mitch Payton. Yeah, Savachi is uh, back. Let's say right, um, and I'm just looking this up here. Sorry, while well, I'm I'm kind of multitasking here. It was 2010, good. 2010. The Trey won his title, and I don't have time to go look up each individual race, but I want to say. It was mid-season when he just started reeling off those wins because, again, it gave me goosebumps watching him do it. It reminded me of one of my favorite all-time riders, an all-around nice guy, Guy Cooper, that did the same thing back in God knows when. So, uh, anyhow, yeah, Savachi, it was a pretty impressive performance. Everybody kind of saw the same thing. He basically should have gone 1-1 if not for that late crash, and that's no uh, disrespect to Jeremy Martin, but it just sort of is what it is. He really was on fire that day. Um he had the fastest lap time in both motos, and I want to say he qualified, what, second behind Jeremy Martin. Uh, it was just Savachi's day, and obviously uh, you and I and everybody uh, predicted the Omaha's to run well up there, but those Kawasaki's sure looked good too, and that's, that's a, you know, a testament to the team. They, they, had, they do their homework at altitude. Mitch Payton did an interview about it, and they were, they were firing on all cylinders, pun intended. 
So, yeah, well, uh, yeah. He, he, the guy Joey. hasn't forgotten he's how to make a, 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 an engine, you know what I mean? Like people think, oh, like, is it like yeah. almost as if he's lost a, he's lost a step or something like that. Like there was a time when, uh, like even, even back when the other engine builders did know what they were doing, uh, Mitch was able to pull out, put out engines, whether it be 125s or 250Fs that just flat out blew everybody out of the water. And, uh, well, I'll say this, I'm, I'm the biggest proponent or whatever you want to call it or, or, or non-proponent of it's not about the bike. Um, I am of the opinion that, that that same confidence monster that we talked about earlier works with teams too. There was a time when Mitch was blowing up 125s left and right. And it, this was when he was winning races back in the 125 two-stroke days. And everybody was questioning what was going on. All of those bikes at that level are within small percentage points difference of themselves. Yes, there's days. To say that they're blowing out of the water, with all due respect to what you just said, I think is a bit of an exaggeration. They might be solid that year, but they are not hugely different than a, than a Geico bike or a factory Yamaha or a Starbike or a KTM. They're different quirks, and maybe they tested more and got certain little things figured out. But again, we're talking small percentage points. All those 250 teams at the factory level are... They come down to rider comfort and confidence. They're all good. They're never that far behind another bike to where it's just night and day difference. People want to think it is, and people want to look, oh, look at all the whole shots the star guys are getting, or look at all the whole shots the Troy Lee guys get. You know, it's this isn't NASCAR. This isn't HRA. Those bikes are all good, and they're all finely tuned monsters, and it, it comes down to the rider. And when you have good riders, it feeds that momentum, and that confidence that the team has. Every, there was a time when people were begging to ride for Mitch for free, if you recall, not too long ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just wanted to be on Mitch's team because they, they thought the bike was Those that, 04, like a cheater bike. Uh, Kawasaki's were uh, like, yeah. like the... Those bikes from stock weren't great, but uh, to get them in the hands of, of Mitch were, was something super special. So, uh, but uh, let, Oh, let's even go. more recently than that, you know... Uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, there, yeah. there was people, you know, that just would have given their left arm to ride for Mitch for bonuses only and turned down a $120,000 contract from another team. I mean, it was, it was obnoxious in my opinion. They're all good bikes. It comes down to now, again, that's not knocking Mitch or the team. They definitely know what they're doing. No question about it. And they definitely fire on all cylinders, but all those mechanics, all those team managers, all those engine builders, all those suspension techs, Everybody works their asses off at the highest level, and it's hard to outdo one another. Mitch occasionally comes up with little secrets on stuff. He's definitely at the forefront of the fourth stroke development on those 250s, no question about it. He was the first guy to hire in, uh, you know, some some IndyCar guys to help with the fourth stroke technology and discovered stuff that nobody else was doing, and the rest of the team followed suit. So, again, this isn't disrespecting him, but it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if you think you're one of the four chosen ones to get to ride the cheater bike, you're going to perform or you're not, and you're going to get fired. So yeah. it's it, it literally boils down to that. And then when things start going bad and start having a bad season, what's wrong with Mitch, man, those other bikes, star bikes look good. How many times have you and I sat here and everybody talked about, I try not to get into it too much, but I happen to be a Yamaha fan and, and I'm a Honda guy at heart, but I, the Yamaha 250s are it for me. I love those things. And how good do they look this year? The bikes Always. aren't that much when there better. Was four of than them Mitch's out front in Moto One. Yeah, I mean those things are just they're, they're clicking. They they're really good rideable bikes outdoors. But are they better than a Pro Circuit bike or a Geico bike? I don't know. I mean, uh, it, again, my contention being in the deep end of that is that they are very very close in horsepower and weight and everything and everything that you need is at their disposal to go win. And it comes down to the rider which also comes down to confidence, which becomes, you know, comes down to the team. And, uh, you know, again, Mitch back on top of the moment and more power to him. He's got a winner in Joey Savace. And the thing that I like about Joey is that we also talked about in the first show, I think, is that he's not being cocky. It has nothing to do with that. He's a guy that is being paid to win and he knows it. And he embellish, he relishes that. Like he embraces it and says, yeah, they're not paying me to go out here and get fourth or fifth. I need to win. And I'm ready to do it. I've been working hard down at the ranch with, with Ricky and Gene. And Mitch just put the best bike under me, and I, I have no excuse if I don't. So there's not many guys that 
that embrace that role like Joey has. And I, I respect him for that because Joey himself, with all due respect to Joey, isn't that special of a guy. He has taken an opportunity that was given to him yeah. and done something special with it, which in turn does make him special, I guess. But as far as talent level, uh, he, he's, you know, I don't think he's like uh, some naturally gifted rider that is just better than everybody. He's just working his ass off with the talent that he has, which is a, a lot of talent, obviously. Yeah, but he's, he's putting he, the tools he's, together. He's got the whole that's, package. That's right. Yeah. He's got the whole package now, and it's clicking, and it's, it's, it's a thing of beauty when it works that way. I love it. So same with Alex Martin, obviously. I couldn't agree and more. And yep. now uh, both Jeremy and Alex probably uh, just getting back to, uh, to to Millville, Minnesota, just this uh, earlier this week. And the, the two of them will be uh, training with each other and uh, pushing each other's lap times. What do you think that that dynamic feels like right now for the two of them? They're sitting, I believe, uh, second and third in points for uh, for the two fifties. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, yeah, yeah, second, yeah, second third and third. Points, you're right. Only yep. separated yep. by. By uh, by six points, uh, brothers, and now of course uh, with the news coming out this weekend that uh, Jeremy Martin no longer working with Osho. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'll go on record by saying that's earlier. a mistake. Yeah, I think so too. I'm a big Osho fan uh, as a person, obviously as an athlete and as a writer who who isn't. He's one of my favorite all time writers. Him, David Bailey, and and Guy Cooper are my top three. And uh, again, I'm not just being a geeky fan. The guy knows what he's doing. He's a super nice guy, uh, and he, he definitely is all business. He's not just out there for a paycheck. In fact, he he's very selective on who he works with. He doesn't need to do it for the money. He does it because he likes to help people. And, of course, he gets paid handsomely for it, but I agree. I don't know what went down. I, I don't know Jeremy really well. I know Alex pretty well. I've worked with Jeremy a little bit, worked with Alex a little bit. I know... Um, you know, I don't know. Shane Schaefer, uh, Schaefer Track Designs, track builder that did Lakewood, and I'm thinking Millville, too, is very, very close to that family. And I haven't talked to him in a while, but just a little, little birdies telling me little things here and there. I don't know why it happened. I think my assessment of it is, this is me speculating for the record, not an inside line from Shane Schaefer or anything, but I'm guessing uh, it's one of those things where People started telling Jeremy, why are you paying this guy so much money? You know what you're doing. He's, you're paying him too much just to ride mountain bikes, and Johnny races mountain bikes for a living. And he's, you're just paying, you're paying him to train with you and whatever. Uh, I don't think – I think a lot of riders, whether it be an agent, which I've had experience doing and I've had firsthand experience of being that guy where a rider comes to me, wants me to represent him, asks me for my help. I go out and I help him. I do my thing, and then sometimes when things get quiet – like maybe right now, it's not boot camp, it's just maintenance training, as I mentioned earlier, and you're stroking a check to somebody for X amount of dollars a month, you're going, why am I paying this guy so much? But you quickly forget all the other things that the, either the agent or the trainer or the practice bike mechanic, whoever it may be, you forget real quick how much other stuff they've done. And in most cases, you figure it out too late after the fact. Like you don't know what you got till it's gone kind of thing. And that's the sad part because I've seen – wives, girlfriends, parents try to pick up the flock on the agent work and go, what the hell were you thinking? You got to hire somebody else. It's more work than they realize. Yeah. The training thing. I'm not saying Jeremy did this. I've seen guys learn and say, well, I don't need to keep paying him. He told me how to do it now. You know, <laughs> I just right. keep doing what he told me to do. I don't need him every week to tell me to go, go, go. So who knows? But I, I, I'm with you. I think it was a mistake. I think Johnny is a guy that can build champions and build on that mental toughness, but to each their own. Jeremy knows what he's doing. He's a two-time champ, and I, I believe Johnny helped him get there, but I think Johnny, I think, I wish they were still together. I'll just say that, but who knows? Only yeah. those two know the no, details, I, I guess. I honestly, if if I'm Jeremy Martin, um, I, I I would want, I'd see what how where uh, Osho has taken me to this point, and I'm thinking to myself, like, is there other other doors that can be unlocked here that can really turn me into a 450 superstar to the point where that's uh, the key. That's right. Paying, There's still a big transition coming up in his yeah, career. That's right. That's what I mean. Like like if he was able, to, if if Osho was able to take Jeremy Martin to that next level and turn him into a Supercross or an outdoor uh, national champion a couple of times over, it wouldn't really matter how much he's paying uh, uh, Johnny because it would be a drop in the bucket. 
But that's right. yeah, maybe that's uh, right. maybe on a, a 250F rider's salary, it, it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit straining. But we're investing in what's to come years down the road, and I think that's where he's a little bit short sighted. And um, uh, like say in a uh, in a scenario where uh, Jeremy Martin goes up to the 450 class and maybe never really uh, realizes the potential that. Uh, w- someone would say that he has for him like uh say, say if he, he turns into uh it turns out like a uh a kevin windham never standing on top of the uh the championship box uh on, yep. on a 450 like would people look back and say if he if he never would have split up with osho maybe he would have had those championships and honestly i yep. don't want to ever have that doubt yep and i you know what i'll go on record right now and i guess i need to be uh, once again less less politically correct and more uh more direct and not to try to please everybody. So hopefully this doesn't rub anybody the wrong way, including Jeremy, because I'm a huge Jeremy Martin fan. Yeah, I love him. I don't, I, I don't see him with or without Johnny being successful in the 450 class. I think he runs near the front outdoors, but I, I, we all know Supercross. And I, I hope he proves me wrong. He could be one of those guys that's a better 450 rider for all I know and goes out there and just waxes everybody in the 450 class like Carmichael. I don't think it's his size necessarily. I just, I think he's going to be, go down in history as one of those guys that uh, I'm pulling for him to win the championship this year for the record, or Alex would be awesome. Um, but to be a three-time small bike champ is incredible. I told you two weeks ago the story, you know, it gave me goosebumps to watch him go from a couple of rounds as a rookie, you know, 10th, 11th, whatever, and then a full season as a true rookie and finish seventh or eighth in the points and then just show up in his third year and just destroy everybody was like, excuse me? Yeah. That was like epic in my opinion. And again, I'm as a person, as a rider, I'm a huge Jeremy Martin fan, but I, I think he's got a rough road ahead of him on the 450 class uh, as opposed to some of the other riders that are his competitors right now. I just don't see it. And I don't know. I think Johnny could help him, but I don't see him being a future champ in that class. That's just my opinion. So... So, uh, like, with this upcoming break, who do you think benefits most from having this break to uh, kind of reset uh, and uh, refocus themselves to uh, be successful uh, in in the rounds that uh, follow this uh, this two week break as we head off to uh, High Point? Well, definitely Tomac. I think it's the perfect time for him to sort of take inventory on what he's done so far, catch his breath because it is still a grind coming essentially straight out of Supercross. And, uh, you know, two, two weeks is a long time to sort of get your head back on straight. Realize that, you know, one of the three of you that were the three is now gone and either rise to the occasion or settle on the second. You know, it'll, time will tell. But uh, I think Eli Tomac can definitely uh, benefit the most from that. Not, not to mention Jason Anderson, who, you know, again, that altitude sickness, anybody that wants to tease him about that, that's no joke. I mean, he, I, I, Jason Anderson's a tough guy. If he's pulling off the track, it's the real deal, and it's very scary. And as uh, Grant Lanks to mention on the broadcast, you feel like you're having a heart attack or you're going to die. I raced uh, an outdoor race in La Paz, Bolivia, believe it or not, the highest capital city in the world. It's like just 14,200 feet, just over 14,000 feet in the city. And then the track was sort of up in the foothills, and... It's it's very scary. It's only, I mean, I've lived in Colorado my whole life, so I don't get altitude sickness until I went to Bolivia. But it's a scary deal for sure. So, again, I think uh, getting reacclimated and getting set is going to be good for Anderson. And then in the 250 class, I'd say Cooper Webb, obviously, with that wrist. He's done a fantastic job of getting out there and putting himself in contention, only, what, 10 or 15 points out of the lead. And... Uh, winning motos running fast lap time in some cases i think at the second round and he's right there in the hunt and now he's got two weeks to heal his wrist up even more so if i I hope he's smart about it and doesn't keep pushing through it so uh i think there's a few guys that are going to come out swinging at mount morris and you know let's not forget too alex martin that was one of his breakout races when he was following his teammate darren Durham around on the 11 ted mods uh, first and second, and people were screaming and yelling, you know, hometown guys, kind of, at least for Durham and hometown team. That was another one that gave me goosebumps when those two were going one-two out there a few years back. So Alex Martin is very capable of continuing his role uh, heading into Mount Morris, and then there's a couple a couple more good tracks coming up, obviously, with Redbud, and then not the least of which being his hometown one after that. 
there's home 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 one literally is home backyard at millville so yeah that's and that's where they'll be uh they'll be putting in some time there's even there's a another track close to uh the uh the the grounds at at Spring Creek, there's a, just just on top of that hill. There's another outdoor track for them to ride at, and uh, only time will tell to see if the Barton brothers can uh, continue this dominance and uh, and stay in the top three. Never before have we seen uh, brothers inside on the podium, not only in, uh, in particular races, but uh, in the championship series. And uh, it's amazing to see a huge step forward this past weekend for Zach Osborne, though uh, surprising finishes with the uh, a four six. Yep, Zach is another guy, that's a good point, that can benefit from the break because I think he envisioned himself being a little higher and he's certainly capable of being higher in the in the motos and the overalls and even the standings. He's a guy that could and should be up there challenging for, for wins and for the title. He's he's a seasoned veteran at this point. He's on good equipment. He's healthy as far as I know. He's had some fast lap times and flashes of brilliance, yet he had the fastest time at Hangtown in the second moto, if I remember right. He's definitely capable of making it a, a five-man race. You throw Plessinger and Forkner in there, too, and Jesse Nelson, who should be doing better, in my opinion. Uh, Cianciarillo is kind of back and showing flashes of brilliance. He's had some top two or three qualifying times, I think, in practice. So it, it, it season goes on. You know, the music goes on from here. There's still there's still that, that Fab Four, if you will, with Sabachi, Martin, Martin, and Webb. But there's another four or five right after him that could get in there and make it the Fab Eight real quick. So it's uh, always entertaining in the 255. I love it. Absolutely, it seems to be uh, the, it'll be the class to watch for the rest of the summer. But uh, 450s will still get it done as well. Um, as far as uh, I'm going I'm to give you any predictions or as far as like uh, podium performances rolling into uh, to, to high point because next week we'll do a little bit of a high point preview uh, later on in the there week. You go. But uh, um, Give me a uh, a prediction for uh, someone that's going to be um, most improved coming out of the break uh, in both 250s and 450s. Someone who's going to take the best step ooh. forward, maybe uh, get themselves on the box. Ooh, 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 that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say Jesse Nelson. Okay. I don't know why. Jesse, I think you're right with Zach Osborne, too. I think some, I know for a fact some of the East Coast tracks will suit him better. They're, they're more like home for him, especially the, the Muddy Creek one, obviously. Um, I really believe Jesse Nelson could and should be up in the top three. He's proved it last year. He's another one that could maybe benefit from the break. He's got his feet back wet. He's back racing after sitting out all Supercross. And and let's remember, at the first round in Supercross, he looked like he could challenge Cooper Webb. So to me, that's where he should be outdoors as well, having won a moto before or even an overall, if I remember right, and obviously the, uh, the Grand Prix. Um, he is a guy that should be up there in the top three, top five, for sure. And he's only got one moto podium so far. So I, I expect Jesse Nelson. That's the one I'm going to call out. On uh, the 450s, oh, my gosh, give me a second to think about it and look at the – points here i'm going to say marvin and uh, i'm going to go with marvin and and barca both benefiting from the east coast tracks back east you know at some of the ruddier maybe more familiar tracks for barca maybe just better technical tracks for for muskin so those two for sure Right on, man. Well, uh, always a pleasure to have you on to uh, to discuss uh, all things two wheels uh, in the get the knobby tires in the dirt. Uh, let's let's reconvene in uh, in one week's time to uh, high, uh, to preview the High Point National, uh, one that's been on the series for a long period of time and uh, always brings out the best in some of the some of these racers. So uh, thanks thanks again for coming on the show. Heck yeah, uh, yeah. You don't, bet. Don't have... I want to give a quick shout out to Irv Braun. Yeah, my prayers. And my family, we're all thinking of him. He's a buddy of mine. He's my poker playing pal. Uh, we we find each other at least when I was still on the circuit, if you will. Sure. A lot of weeks in the hotel. We sometimes just sit and play in the lobby. But Irv is it, it's a term that's abused, but he's one of the good guys. Trust me. And yeah. if you're a, if you're the praying type, send some prayers to Irv Ron's way. He had a massive stroke, and I'm just waiting minute by minute trying to look for updates on vital and stuff because I just found out about yesterday and. Thoughts and prayers with Earth Braun. Supercross won't be the same without you, buddy. We need you back out there. 
Yeah, we need to, absolutely need to get him back out there. Uh, thoughts and prayers with Irv Braun. Uh, a long time uh, in 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 stadium announcer for uh, for Supercross. So, uh, but yeah, That's thanks right. thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, don't hey, you bet. Thanks yet, for having me. Yeah, no no problem at all. Thanks for, thanks for uh, giving me the time. Uh, don't hang up just yet. But for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. All right. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content. Winnipeg.